So, hello. Uh, welcome to the IFLR podcast. I'm James Wilson, IFLR's project editor, and I'm here with Carrie Lai, IFLR's Asia reporter. Hello, Carrie. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So this episode is another in the IFLR Awards series, and we are very happy to be talking to the 2020 Asia-Pacific Awards Market Reform Award winner, Anna Wu. Anna was the founding chair of the Hong Kong Competition Commission. Anna, congratulations on winning the award. Thank you very much, firstly, for accepting the award. We understand that the post we were in ended just as the winners were being announced. Thank uh, and you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you also for making the time to join us on a podcast. My pleasure. So, Carrie, being in Hong Kong, you're probably best to do this, but can you give us a very brief introduction to tell us who Anna is? And Anna, again, if there's anything wrong with the introduction, please jump in and correct us. Great. Okay. So up until uh, April 2020, Anna Wu was the chair of the Hong Kong Competition Commission. She had assumed that position since May 2013 when the commission was established, meaning that she was the commission's founding chairperson. Anna played a pivotal role in defining the commission and developing Hong Kong's competition law framework, including the implementation of Hong Kong Competition Ordinance. And during her tenure, the commission brought six cartel cases to court and forged strong links with competition authorities around the world. The Market Reform Award primarily reflects her work in establishing and leading the commission. And it's also rare for us to be able to offer this award to someone who set up a uh, key law enforcement agency. Thank you, Carrie. So from my understanding, Anna, you've also had a long career in developing and proposing legislative reform across many different fields. So hopefully some of that will come out in our conversation. But for now, I'll let Carrie kick off with the first question. So Anna, what were the original ambitions or key principles for the Hong Kong Competition Commission? It's really a very big question, but let me begin by talking about laissez-faire, which was the economic policy for Hong Kong for the longest time. Our economic policy today remains by and large non-interventionist, and we favor unfettered capitalism. And of course, the more unfettered our capitalism is, the more room there is for anti-competitive behavior to form. We need a competition framework to curb anti-competitive conduct and to, frankly, make the market more of a level playing field for businesses be they big or small. Now, there is one key component to government's competition policy and the competition framework that we have today, and that is to enhance consumer welfare. Uh, average overcharge estimated for all types of cartels over all periods is in fact 23%. So think about that, that we're actually paying more than we should be at any one point, and it is not a small amount. In the 1990s, I was in fact very much involved with the Hong Kong Consumer Council studies on business competitiveness in Hong Kong, both as vice chair and subsequently as chair. These studies confirmed the very low level of competition persisting in the non-traded sectors. And in the highly regulated businesses, such as those covered by government franchises, competition policy awareness was frankly dangerously low. Up until 1994, the interest rate rule in Hong Kong allowed bankers to agree on maximum interest rates for certain types of deposits. 
Consumer Council made a recommendation to liberalize the interest rate rule and to have it abolished in stages. This did occur and the recommendation was in fact accepted by government. But think about the cartel that persisted before 1994. Bankers were allowed to charge at an agreed interest rate against consumers' deposits. And it was shifting money from consumers to the wealthier banker pockets. Uh, again, in the 1990s, other interesting things happened. And this happened to be a very good but rare story. It related to the liberalization of the telephone industry in Hong Kong. The liberalization achieved uh, choices. Uh, it brought choices to consumers. Uh, it gave significant reduction in price to consumers. And it provided newer technology for users. In fact, investment in the telecommunication industry also increased significantly. So this was a win-win, liberalizing the telephone industry in Hong Kong in the 1990s. And it clearly demonstrated the reasons why a competition framework would be beneficial to Hong Kong. Now, it took us many decades fighting very hard for the law to come about. In fact, it was over two decades. But we finally got it, and this was recognizing the importance competition plays in any kind of economy. It is needed for both choice, for cost reasons, for competitive reasons, and certainly for innovation. How difficult was it to establish a completely new authority? So what were the key challenges in establishing the commission? Was it harder to develop? The, the competition rules and the framework, or was it just as hard to create the room in the market for the competition its, uh, commission itself as an authority? It was very difficult to start any commission and certainly extremely difficult in the case of the competition commission because the commission itself uh, had to start from scratch. It started in May 2013 to prepare for operation. Operation did not commence until 2015 year end. But in the case of competition, uh, we would all recognize that there are a lot of vested interests involved and that is always difficult to tackle. There are also a lot of bad and old behavior that we had to remove. Uh, there is a great deal of cultural issues that we had to turn around. And as founding chair, I started from zero with a board of um, 13 others. Uh, the three areas of work that I would classify as crucial and quite difficult at that time um, were one, um, developing a team of professional staff. This was a new area of law and we couldn't find existing uh, expertise in competition law in Hong Kong then. Uh, but we now have an excellent and cohesive team coming from different backgrounds, law enforcement, legal, economics, IT, uh, and all kinds of other administration and uh, management background. Uh, we also now have a very good mixture of overseas and local recruits. Uh, 
And this allows us to cross-fertilize, and this will help us along the way um, in future years to come. Difficulty number two is probably cultural awareness and establishing trust with the public. Uh, the Commission must command trust of the public in order to fulfill its roles and functions. We need the public, frankly, to work with us and to file complaints, provide the evidence, and literally be our eyes. Our advocacy work worked very well, and it was extremely successful. Uh, we showed the public what to look for in terms of cartel behavior. And they brought us the first two cases. That's how important getting the trust of the public is. We need them to work with us. The third issue is a long-term one, and that is to build a pipeline of litigation cases, setting precedents, and devising a strategy for effective enforcement. Uh, investigation and litigation uh, form the most significant part of the Commission's work. We need to target the right areas of public interest. We need to establish precedents for the new law, and we need to create deterrent effect to help change the culture and to promote compliance. The uh, law commenced operation at the end of 2015. Within four and a half years, six cases were brought to court. Uh, two cases were won against multiple defendants. And our strategy uh, from the early days to now um, has always been to use a carrot and stick approach. Uh, strength and deterrent effect by increasing liability for individuals, imposing direct disqualification orders, and holding parent companies liable for the conduct of subsidiaries. And at the same time, to encourage cooperation through leniency and cooperation programs that we have developed. And I think this strategy will probably remain for many years to come. When establishing a commission, of course, it is important to develop rules and regulations. It is equally important to cultivate and to engage our stakeholders to get the culture right. And both components are not just important, but they are intertwined. And one obvious example that occurred before our operation commenced was the drafting of our guidelines. Uh, as you know, we've got a number of guidelines required by law, and we had to get them done before the law commenced without any kind of operational experience to guide us then. And this was like, you know, putting the cart before the horse, but we had to do this. Uh, what we did then was to turn this drafting process into an engagement exercise and also into a consultation exercise with businesses to get their views and to get their buy-in as, as far as we can. Uh, this also helped us to raise compliance awareness at the same time. Now, we ended up with quite a helpful and practical set of guidelines for businesses with some very useful examples. Um, that's where 
we look at uh, compliance, awareness, culture building, and rulemaking coming together. And that was a very useful example because we were required to produce those guidelines. Thanks for sharing that, Anna. What would you say was your proudest accomplishment at the commission? Extremely difficult question to answer, frankly. Um, I think generally we've done well. We've had some major challenges, but some good experiences along the way. Uh, we're still considered young, uh, but maturing at a pretty fast rate. Uh, we've managed to increase uh, community awareness, change some bad business practices. We've built very strong ties with the international community and our interaction with them um, have yielded a lot of benefits to ourselves. They've helped us with capacity building, they've helped us with research and policy advisors and so on. And frankly, we have paid that back or beginning to pay that back by um, sharing our own experiences with younger jurisdictions in the Asia-Pacific region. That said, it's actually quite difficult for me to identify something that I'm proud of, but it is not difficult for me to talk about two cases which I find memorable uh, for, for different reasons. Um, we showed the public what to look for in bid rigging. We actually explained to the public uh, things like font size, uh, careless copying, uh, and uh, non-thinking insertions and inclusion of materials. There, there, there are a lot of things about bid rigging that you could look for to substantiate a case. And we taught, taught the public to look for those signs. Uh, we, we did that at one of our seminars and lo and behold, a complainant landed at our doorstep shortly after with a textbook case of bid rigging in the IT industry. And that was our very first case. It was brought to us by a complainant who had heard us uh, explaining what that entailed. Um, the second case uh, involved cartel conduct in the building decoration industry in the public housing sector. Before the law commenced, and this was something deeply embedded in my memory, there was a petition from the public presented to the commission together with a bitter melon, a real bitter melon, symbolizing the sufferings of the victims of uh, building industry cartels. Now we won both these cases and it was delivering social justice in the public housing case, which affected uh, many low-income families that meant a great deal to me. So these two cases were extremely memorable to me uh, for those reasons. Um, it's difficult to say that I had a particular point uh, which should be marked as the proudest moment. I will leave that to my successor and others at the commission to tell you what they could remember. But these two certainly were uh, very memorable cases to me. And, and on the flip side, and this is probably a mean question, but uh, if there was one thing you could have changed during your tenure at the commission, what would it be? 
oh, there's a whole lot of stuff that I'd like to have changed. <laughs> Hopefully for the better. Um, firstly, I've always had a gripe that the law should have come sooner. Now, we could have benefited more from a competition framework and our economy uh, would have been that much better. That's just me saying that the law should have come sooner. Um, secondly, there are a lot of areas where the law today uh, does not cover. Um, we don't have private actions, we don't have cross-sector mergers, and we don't have power to compel production of data information when undertaking market studies. Now, private actions today are covered by the ordinance, but only as follow-on actions. That is, uh, the victim of a contravention of the competition rules will have to wait for the Commission's enforcement actions and a contravention finding by the tribunal before seeking to recover damages. So the lack of private actions limits and delays the ability of the victims uh, to initiate proceedings and to seek remedies. Uh, if we can allow private actions to be initiated at the first instance by the victims, uh, that would eliminate the need uh, for the waiting and in fact would strengthen the deterrence and probably will help us to create new precedents. We will have more cases. Um, in the second area of merger control, um, as you know, the merger rule only applies to the telecommunications sector. Uh, it is important to have cross-sector merger controls to prevent vast monopolies from forming and to help the economy to become more diverse and innovative. Um, in terms of information gathering powers, we certainly have those powers with investigations. Uh, on the operation side, but we don't have these powers when we are undertaking market studies, when we need to find out what actually was happening on the ground in any relevant markets, and to find out what the state of competition uh, is at, at that particular market. Now, that is a wider industry sector study. Um, it is not investigation, and that's where we don't have the power to compel the giving of information and data, and it would be nice to have that. Now, all these, um, all these, if made available to the Commission, would provide fantastic tools to make the law more effective and would help generally the Hong Kong economy. And broadly, what do you think are the challenges ahead for competition law that businesses in Hong Kong and the Asia region should be on the watch for? And has COVID-19 put a different light on the role of competition regulation in the markets? Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, broad questions. Um, competition, of course, has become a very important guiding principle for businesses in Asia. Uh, more and more Asian jurisdictions are adopting competition frameworks and laws. Uh, we will need to focus on greater cross-jurisdictional cooperation collaboration from Asia. Uh, we all have our own laws. Uh, markets don't have boundaries. Laws do. But we do need to work with each other to facilitate the markets. 
And I see uh, collaboration across jurisdictions, something that we need to focus on, including, for instance, standardization of norms. Um, the next one is really quite well known, and that is digital economy and what it has brought us in terms of impact. And we all need to focus on that. Um, the potential for AI to facilitate cartel conduct is one example. The impact of big data, another example. We also have other issues such as the widening of digital divides, uh, sustainable transformation of an economy from traditional to digital. All these issues are faced by economies in Asia today. And these are all issues that as competition authorities, we will need to look at and focus on to see how economies can better adapt to these changes. Uh, again, you know, the, this is one area where we see the need for collaboration. Uh, and this is extremely important for Asian jurisdictions to get together. Uh, across Asia, a number of competition authorities uh, have recognized um, in the case of the pandemic, uh, the need for temporary measures and temporary cooperation between businesses uh, to ensure supply of essential products to consumers, whether it be a face mask or future vaccine or medicine, any kind of medical equipment. It all falls within the category of need, essential supplies, and what we can do to reduce the paralysis caused by the pandemic. Um, and in the case of Hong Kong, we highlighted some examples uh, of cooperation arrangements that we were willing to look at and to relax on. These included joint venture, uh, joint buying, joint production, or exchange of information. Um, these are all areas where businesses can look at to see if they can do better. Uh, and this, these are areas where a competition authority, including the Hong Kong one, would be willing to be pragmatic about to meet the contingencies and the problems posed by uh, COVID-19. Uh, um, every authority is really trying very hard to help businesses overcome the paralysis and the difficulties. However, we are all at the same time watching closely pandemic-connected anti-competitive behavior. There's always something good, there's always something bad that comes in the, at the end of the day. Um, this type of anti-competitive behavior would include things like uh, price gouging. Uh, and because of the economic weaknesses caused by the pandemic, I certainly expect a lot of loose mergers and joint ventures to take place. And these will all require very careful scrutiny to counter uh, anti-competitive conduct. This is the range of things that uh, uh, is actually shared um, with different Asian and global authorities because we all have our problems. We also have experiences to share, uh, just arising from COVID-19 alone. And this is a process that is going through the authorities across the globe today.
Well, challenging times for competition authorities. Um, up till now, we've, we've focused on your work with the Commission and on competition law, and these are core aspects um, of, of the IFLR, or IFLR topics. But prior to the Commission, you're involved in many different types of projects. To list a few, you previously chaired the Equal Opportunities Commission. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you worked with the Hong Kong Consumer Council uh, and the Operations Review Committee of the Independent Commission Against Corruption, and you served on the Executive Council as well. What's next for you now? Are you sticking with regulation or competition or are you returning to previous projects? And will you be having a break or launching straight into something else? Uh, I, I have some pet interest areas that I'd like to do. <laughs> uh, and these are areas that uh, I am personally interested in. Um, I'm currently associated with two centers at the University of Hong Kong relating to law and technology and medical ethics and law. Uh, when I got interested in medical ethics and law, COVID-19 was not an issue, but it became an issue. Um, first, I should uh, say and explain that I was an intellectual property lawyer before I became um, a person in public office. Uh, and. I am particularly interested in the area of digital entertainment. That's part of the digital economy that is unfolding. And I'm very interested in the intellectual property aspects and the economic value aspects of uh, digital entertainment and digital transactions. And that's why I got myself associated with the Law and Technology Center. Uh, COVID-19 itself has produced many issues relating to medical ethics, personal data, collaborative research, and the need to make life-saving medical advancement more widely available. Uh, patents are monopolies, but inventions are sometimes needed for life-saving uh, circumstances and we have to look at what we should do where we need life-saving vaccines or medication or equipment how that could be shared uh, more appropriately and more fairly and that is a very tricky issue because you've got private interests in terms of uh, energy and resources put into event invention but we've also got the public needs of saving lives. So that is an area that falls within law, within technological advancement, and certainly within medical ethics. And I'd like to be able to look at that uh, more um, actively uh, for my personal interests in future. And of course, uh, anything else will depend on what the opportunities will be. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to be able just simply to sit back and say, I'm interested in that and I'd like to do it. Um, so that's the stage I'm at. Uh, I don't have any fixed course, uh, but I'm open to all kinds of things happening around me. That's great to hear, Anna. And finally, what advice would you give to young aspiring lawyers of an interest in the regulatory side of law? Well, actually, I'm the worst person to ask that question and I'll <laughs> say why. Uh, when I first began studying law, I found law to be utterly boring. And in fact, I never wanted to study law, but I stuck with it. 
And eventually I saw light in it when I saw law in action. Uh, it's when I saw law producing value for social and economic development uh, that I learned to like it. So that's my own personal process, but I wouldn't put myself up as a good example because I started not liking law and never wanted to practice law, uh, but I stayed with it for my whole lifetime. It was my lifetime career dealing with the law. Um, I have been very involved with things like competition, as you've mentioned, equal opportunities, uh, consumer protection, and anti-corruption laws. And these are all areas where the law intersects with economic and social values. So for young lawyers, I would simply say that law is multidisciplinary. And it becomes interesting. Don't abandon it when you see how it can change lives. Hopefully, you will find more out of it than I had. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you. Um, well, so, I mean, as expected, you are very busy and they sound like very interesting projects. So we, we wish you the best of luck in that future work. Um, yeah. And again, congratulations on, on winning the 2020 Market Reform Award. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.